passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Well, this is going to be a fantastic show, and you are involved. If you are registered, I should say if you're subscribed to the Bite Me Texas Saltwater Fishing Podcast, uh, this is uh, as much your show as any we've ever done because every single topic that Captain Scott Null and I are going to cover today is from a listener comment or question. Uh, this is the Bite Me Podcast, and we got a lot to cover today. We're going to get right to it. Uh, I do want to say if you want to uh, add another question or comment or whatever it may be, we're easy to get a hold of, man. Uh, Facebook, we're both on Facebook. John Lopez, that's Captain Scott Null. He has CaptainScottNull.com as well. Uh, obviously, I'm on uh, Twitter and Instagram, at Lopez on Sports, on both of those. Uh, also, Captain Scott Null uh, on Instagram. And uh, this is your show, man. We, we were talking before we opened these microphones uh, about, uh, hey, let's just uh, tell people what we think. Let's be honest. Let's help people catch fish. It's what we do, and why we do it is because we like to talk fishing with ourselves, so might as well share it with everybody else, and maybe you get to catch more fish. It is the Bite Me Texas Saltwater Fishing Podcast. Here we ha- Here's what we have going for you. Is there such a thing as a really good year-round fishing spot in saltwater? We'll get to that. Rod building. This comes from our friends over at Fishing Tackle Unlimited when Captain Scott and I went and spoke at uh, one of their CCA uh, meetings out there. We've got a little kayak discussion, and you came to the right place because Captain Scott is a, a master kayak fisherman. Uh, search baits and such, spoons, spinner baits, what you should use when uh, when you're fishing. Not just kayak, we can translate it to the boat as well, uh, but having to cover more water. Uh, spring and summer flounder tactics uh, with artificial bait. We're going to cover that today. And I like this question because he, he directed it right to me, and he called me, uh, the popping cork guy. Uh, so I like that. Uh, the popping cork discussion from the popping cork guy, that would be me and Captain Scott, of course. Do you use different styles in different water depths? And uh, we have some more questions and comments. A beginner's guide to sight fishing from skiffs. We might get to that on this episode or the next one. But a lot to cover. Uh, inshore fishing, excuse me, near shore fishing. Uh, we'll get to that. But for sure, we're going to talk about the latest boat ramp confessional. And that includes uh, my guy, Captain Scott Null, a uh, very recent episode that he had. If you want to know if what a boat ramp confessional is, you can go to some of the previous uh, episodes. We try to include one every other show, every third show, which is basically we all screw up on the water. We all have those days where something bad happens. Own it. Own it. And uh, let's talk about it and have a good laugh, hopefully, as well. Captain Scott, how are you this fine day? Doing good. Uh, fishing has been a little sporadic down in Port O'Connor, I understand, but uh, I know you're out on the water, and that's always a good day. Yeah, I spent some time on the water. The fish are just weird during that transition, I think. Yeah. I think that's a big part of what's going on right now. Winter to uh, spring, man. Winter to spring. 
and also real windy days mm-hmm. and then dead calm days. Yeah. And I think that was my problem yesterday. Uh, it, it had been super, super windy for you saw several fish. days. I saw, I mean, I had one guy on the bow throwing fly mm-hmm. and uh, we saw 100, 150 fish. I mean, we saw plenty of fish, yeah. but they were, every one of them was weird. And I tried a lot of different places. We tried a lot of different things, different bottoms, mm-hmm. different structures. Uh, but we could see the fish mm-hmm. and they would just stiffen up as soon as he'd move, if he'd pick the rod up. Uh, one of them, he, you know, you hold your fly in your hand yeah. while you're yeah. waiting. And he slung the fly out to get to started. Get ready to, yeah. And when he slung the fly out, it took off. And this fish was 30, 40 feet from the boat, you know, 50 crazy. feet from the boat. And, I don't know. They were just spooky, spooky. It is that Weird you're right. Fish. You're right. It is that time of year. Things change. Patterns change. You can't pattern anything hardly. It's very rare this time of year until you get into later April where no, you it can was set, ninety degrees. Yeah, and then it was forty two degrees yesterday morning. Yeah. So so where's the pattern there? <laughs> there is none. Uh, but but that kind of ties into our first topic today because. Uh, I got to tell this story. Uh, I've bragged a lot about uh, uh, the late, great uh, Captain Mike Mosley, Uh, me and my buddy Tommy and Jim Jerome and uh, a bunch of guys used to fish uh, East Matagorda like, uh, well, we still fish it regularly. I got a place down there now, but uh, hopefully I'm going to be going down there this weekend. But uh, when we were first getting started, we did 10, 12 years out there and Joe Mike had spots. Here's where we're kind of going to contradict ourselves to a degree. Because you and I are very much advocates of uh, conditions, uh, what the weather is doing, what the tide is doing, what the, you know, the tables are doing, uh, you know, where you see in the bait, you know, that, that there is, we're fishing more what we see and what we know about the water in that day rather than a particular spot on your depth finder. But there are spots. Oh, there's our, there's spots. Yeah. And there's, there's currents that meet mm-hmm. and in a certain spot mm-hmm. under a certain tide. Uh, there's there's reefs there's junk in the water yeah you know there's things that hold fish in a certain spot mm-hmm. uh, so yeah there are there are times to spot fish and it's so funny because uh, i thought of the podcast i was fishing a couple of weeks ago and uh, joe mike's son nick mosley um i texted him hey what's going on where are you i was actually looking for a place to to wade fish with someone because you guys know i don't like to to, to wade fish by myself I know some people can, and I'm not going to pass judgment. Some people do. Uh, to me, given the choice, I'd rather you know wade with someone around. Yeah, you had sent me a message asking me to. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I asked you to come on board. I yeah. said, "Hey, man, what are you busy. doing?" He goes, "I'm fishing." Oh, okay, well that that scratches that idea. I was getting paid. <laughs> That's right. I wasn't going to pay you, uh, so uh, that was not going to happen. So I, I was looking for someone to wade fish, but uh, I told him that I was like, "Ah, scratched out a couple of little ones here and there." He goes, "Well, try this spot right here." And you know the the mark of a good friend? He gives you marks. <laughs> the mark of a good friend gives you marks. He goes, try this spot right here. So uh, I was kidding with him afterward. I didn't kill it, but I caught a couple of decent trout there um, on the marks, on the numbers that he gave me. And I was kidding with him afterwards. I'm like, damn it, even from the grave, your dad is putting me on fish. Yep. <laughs> so there is such a thing as spots. And, and what I was going to ask you and talk to you about, you already addressed it a little bit. Why is that? Why why is it when we're talking about conditions and bait and tides and all that, there are still certain areas that are just good spots? Well, and it's still conditions. When Nick told you to go there, he knew what the conditions were. Well, that's true. And that was in his mind was mm-hmm. that was a good spot under those conditions. Mm-hmm. That spot may suck tomorrow. Right. You know, you just don't know. But, uh, or it may just pay off every time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, there are places that I go that 
just have that feel about them. And whether it's a depth change or a reef or right. uh, an old sunken boat, you know, there's something there that, that's holding fish, mm-hmm. and there's a reason why that's a good spot. Right. Uh, but typically, I don't spot fish. Right. Now, typically, you typically you on your on your depth finder on your hummingbird, uh, you like to to mark obstacles in the water and waypoints rather than fishing spots. Uh, yeah. I do have a lot of fishing spots on mine simply because if I know where I am uh, on a certain shoreline. I don't want to forget something. I don't trust my memory, you know. Right. I don't want to forget something that I that was there, you know, three years ago with those same conditions. So it's different strategies. I I like I. There's no limit really. I mean, there is, but it's a, a big number of the number of places that waypoints that you can put into your depth finder. So I use a lot for for right. both marking a, a path, uh, a route, and and where I've caught fish on certain areas. So if you have a good spot that's been consistent in certain conditions. You, I never go by them. I never, I never just go right by them without giving it a shot. Right. Well, if the conditions right if, suit that spot. Right. Uh, yeah. Sure. Uh, like on the jetties. Yeah, mm-hmm. I've got a spot that I fish on an outgoing tide. Mm-hmm. That's the only time I'll fish it. But you know. And if the tide's ripping too hard, mm-hmm. it's not going to work. Right. It's got to be that that mid flow. Mm-hmm. You know, when it first starts up or when it's just about to quit flowing. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the time for that spot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's the kind of things that I do. Uh, and I don't mark fishing spots so much because I just have fished them for 30-something right. years. Right. And if the day ever comes that I can't remember my <laughs> my shorelines and uh, locations, then that I have to start marking them yeah. after that many years of doing it, then it's probably time for me to get off the water. Yeah. Yeah, I mean you won't, but it's probably time. <laughs> it's probably time. Yeah, if I have to start marking the boat launch, yeah. so I can get back. Where did I launch this thing? Um, yeah, no. So there is, you know, I, I've, I'm glad we got that question because, you know, there is such a thing. Again, you still depend on conditions, but uh, certain areas, your spot, so to speak, just holds fish. That's what I mean. Yeah, when you ask Nick, mm-hmm. yeah, all of us that fish all the time have that Rolodex in our head yeah. of, okay, it's southeast winds blowing 10 miles an hour. It's been doing that for three or four days. Mm-hmm. You know, we're in the middle of spring. You know, it's spring's coming on. Yeah, try I, this. I would try this. Yeah, try this. <laughs> I would, this would be my A spot to go. Mm-hmm. And he was thinking along the lines of, if I was guiding today, yeah, then this is where I would, this would be my number one spot. Exactly. And that's good of him to give it to you. Yeah, no, that's that's a good friend right there, uh, because I had, I didn't have that spot on my on my uh, hummingbird. Um, here's something else: we were out t- talking to the the CCA um, group out in Katy. I think it's the West Side uh, group is what they call it. And uh, we were at Fishing Tackle Unlimited, and one of the guys there said, uh, "Y'all ever talk about rod building?" And the answer is no. We've really never discussed rod building. You were in the rod building business, well, in the rod business uh, for for a while. Um, I don't know about rod building. I've had a rod built for me here and there, mostly for show than go. If you know what I mean, because it had the per, it had the, the logo of of my, the radio station or whatever, right. just to make it look good. A longhorn on it? Uh, no, not a longhorn. <laughs> the opposite of the longhorns. By the way, shout out to the baseball team this week. Thing uh, anyway. Um, yeah, I I think if you want to build a rods, I want to get your expert opinion. But mine is if you want to build a rod, great, but do it more for show than go because you can buy off the rack really good rods, really good rods, pretty much. Uh, now there are some 
uh, I call them boutique rod companies. Mm -hmm. uh, they're not associated with Shimano or right. Loomis or any of the, you know big big conglomerates. Mm -hmm. uh, say like you know uh, Castaway, uh, all, La all Laguna, mm -hmm. Waterloo. You know, I'm going to leave somebody out and irritate somebody, but you know those those right. type. Um, you can go down there, and it's it's a shelf rod that they build mm -hmm. that rod on a large number, right? But then you can have custom things done to it. You can have your own customized wrap. You know, you custom. That's cu what I'm talking you know, about. Custom Most colors. Yeah. Uh, if you've got a, a tournament or a fishing team or whatever, you can have them put the logos on it, and you can have things done like uh, changing the grip changing the handle uh maybe upgrading mm -hmm. the components uh the rod blanks themselves are pretty standard yeah yeah i mean not it's it's not really standard i guess but it's uh they're, they're, it's they're, hard it's hard to vary for a variance to be i mean they're all right. pretty much in when, the same window when people talk about custom rod they're mm -hmm. not getting a custom blank yeah it's not turbocharged. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> the, the blank is the blank. I mean, yeah. it it it's been used before. It's yeah. it's not custom to you. Mm -hmm. Now the components are custom to you. Right. I've got a custom built fly rod mm -hmm. that uh, TFO built for me. Um, it was in appreciation for some work I'd done for mm -hmm. them, and they asked me what I wanted on it, and then they started making suggestions, and so I got this really cool yeah custom built fly rod that it's a one of a kind. That's where that's most of what I see as custom. Right. It's one of a kind. It's yours. Um, but it's really similar to a rod mm -hmm. that you could pick up off the shelf. Uh, it may not be exactly the same handle that, right. you, that you'd like. Uh, so that's where that comes in. And then there are different individual custom rod builders. Mm -hmm. uh, there's several of them that I know that work at FDU. Right. That can build beautiful rods. See, I, I don't, right there, I'll stop you real quick. By no means am I saying don't get a, a custom rod because there are all kinds of great benefits. The, the, the grip, as you mentioned, I had my name on one once that somebody you know gifted me. Uh, there's there's good there's right. really cool things. All I'm saying is like the rod itself. You know, don't say I want this material because the best materials for your rods are already there. Right. You know, the blanks are the blanks are the blanks. Mm -hmm. Now the components can upgrade. Right. Yeah. And that's where that's where the custom comes in. Right, I uh, totally agree. And, and and yeah, by all means, go go make one if you want one that a certain color, certain wrap, certain uh, grip, certain uh, you know, like I said, your name or your logo, your company logo. By all means, do it. But rod building in terms of like reinventing the wheel, they're reinventing it so much faster than any of us can do. Right. And I mean, I built rods for myself. Mm -hmm. I worked at Marburgers. I got all into it. Right. And I built rods for myself. I built them for friends. Mm -hmm. Uh, I didn't get into it selling them, but, uh, yeah, I had fun with it. Mm -hmm. And one difference there back then, all the, all the factory rods, mm -hmm. uh, every rod has a spline. Yeah. It, it, it bends better in a certain direction. Right. And if you roll a roller blank on the floor, mm -hmm. you can, you can put a bend in it and roll it right. and it will snap to a certain spot. Mm -hmm. That's your spline. Mm -hmm. Uh, a custom rod builder back then would check that. Right. But if you checked it on the typical off the shelf rod back then, mm -hmm. they'd bend it sideways and yeah. bend at a 30 degree angle. 
they bent in every which direction, which lessened the quality of the rod, right. casting and fighting fish. Right. Uh, so back then it was it was a big deal to have a custom rod built because mm-hmm. uh, Lloyd Pepper, right. you know, Mr. Pepper, he built rods. Mm-hmm. He knew that spline, and he lined those guides up exactly along so that spline. So he knew exactly. So you knew you had a good rod. Uh, I learned rod building from him. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he taught me to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but nowadays, even the the rods built by TFO, the rods you built can by find that. Water, they're all going to be yeah. on the spline correctly. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's become more of a more of a thing. Right now, if you go into the you know the cheap rods, you know the nineteen ninety nine rod. Well, you're getting what you pay. You're going to get what you pay for. Mm-hmm. But uh, any of the the upper end models of rods, they're going to be built right. And uh, you and I have our preferences on the rods. Since we're on this topic, before we move on to the next, uh, you know, talking about search baits. Um, I have rods with the eyes have something in them. I have the eyes, uh, bare, you know, the, just the wire. Right. Um, I know you subscribe to just the wire cause there's less that can go wrong on the line. Correct. Right. Uh, the, uh, titanium guides. Yeah. Uh, I like those a lot mm-hmm. just because my rods get beat up mm-hmm. you know, so much. And just put, picking them up and putting them down. If you have that porcelain in there. Or right. whatever it is. Right. Yeah. And it can crack. Right. And if it cracks with these modern braids, if you get a little, I mean, a, it can be a crack. It can be just a rough spot mm-hmm. on that that uh, eye. Right. And it'll start wearing on your braid. And you and won't it, know it. You won't know it for a little while. <laughs> unless you really start looking, you'll see a little fuzz yeah. starting to build up on your, mm-hmm. on your line. And uh, the best way to check that, I think I've mentioned it here before, is pantyhose. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I know there's no pantyhose anymore, but used there's to something be, that material that that, that yeah, kind of nylon, right. thin nylon or whatever, uh, you know, whatever a it thin is, sock, yeah. or, you know, something, like, and take that and slide it through the eyes and see if it's catches. see if it snags, see if it catches because that stuff will snag on anything. Yeah, you know, it, it would snag just you know really easy. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was the way that we always checked right checked our eyes. And uh, you know we we you and I have our preferences. I think our rod preferences are a little similar until we get to the action on certain baits. But that's up to each individual, uh, each individual fisherman. I was thinking about you the other day when I was fishing, uh, because I was working a topwater, and I like to use a flippier rod for the topwater. Right. So I actually put on a, on a stiffer rod because you like to use a stiffer rod right. uh, uh, for for the topwater. I actually tried it uh, just to see. I said, let me see what you know, what Scott's got going here. And it worked, but it just—it just, it just felt so foreign yeah. to me, you know. Until I get used to it. The more you it, do it, the, yeah. the better you'll like it. Yeah. Uh, the the whole concept behind it is if you've got a a, a lighter rod tip mm-hmm. that's moving more, every time you twitch that bait, the rod tip's moving four inches. Right. Well, you got to move the rod six inches to move your your lure two inches. Mm-hmm. Then, well, with a stiffer rod, less movement on the tip, so you don't work as hard. Right. Yeah. You know, your your forearm. If I picked up probably one of your rods that you use for top water now, yeah. my forearm would be burning yeah. inside of a few hours because I'm not used to trying, having to put I think that also, much into it. I think also it's where you hold the angle of your rod when you're working your bait. Because uh, you know, I, I, I use mine a little higher, and so right. it's I just kind of flick my wrist like that. You probably maybe have yours a little lower because yep. you you know just to hold it hold it out there a little more. So, get, long story short. Uh, 
if you want to look cool, more power to you. I'm, I'm, I'm with that. I'm down with it. But in terms of the rods themselves, you can you can maybe customize a rod, and that might be a better track than, than than literally having one made for you, unless you just happen to like the way the guy makes them. Sure. Yeah. And if you're interested in getting in rod building, mm-hmm. uh, Fish and Tackle Unlimited does a rod building seminar. It's coming up here soon. I don't have the date with me. Well, you can look it up. But yeah. uh, you can look it up on their website. And they do a great and, job themselves with their rods. Oh, they have a fantastic job. That's all yeah. I'm throwing now yeah. is uh, their, their house rods. Yeah. That, the uh, green, what are they called? The green the rods? The green rods. Yeah. That's what uh, you know what Joe built up. Yeah. He's got offshore rods. He's got all kind of stuff. I've got, I've got several. The green rods are the bay rods. Yeah. But I've got a bunch of others. Uh, but they have just a huge selection. If you're interested at all in building your own rod mm-hmm. and seeing what it's about, uh, go by there and, and check that thing out and go to that little seminar. It's a full day affair, yeah. and they've got people from all the uh, component companies show up, mm-hmm. the, the sales managers, you know, the salesmen right. from these different companies, and those guys show up, and you can sit there and BS with them and, yeah, and they'll ask just pick questions. their brains. Yeah, you know, one year they had Gary Loomis there. Jeez, you know, for the that's for pretty the cool. I don't know who's coming this year. I haven't looked at it. Yeah, but uh, yeah, it, it's a pretty cool event. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, I can't remember if it's next weekend. Uh, but it's I'll, coming up really soon. I'll uh, I'll get it. I'll, I'll get it and put it when we when we tweet out the this podcast. All right. What are the best search baits when the bite gets tough? Love this question as well. By the way, um, if you uh, subscribe to this podcast and you can subscribe everywhere, you know, on iTunes and SoundCloud and everywhere in between, um, you know, you'll get noticed right away every time we post a new. Uh, a new podcast, and you can also get the information on where to uh, to reach us with your questions. Search baits when the bite gets tough. Now, this was this came from a kayak fisherman, and I'm gathering that he's talking about redfish. Uh, it seems as if he's talking about redfish because he was mentioning, um, you know, he, you know whether it's a spoon or a spinner bait. Um, it can also translate to pretty much search baits for any fish. But let let's start right there. When the going gets tough, all right, um, and you're blind casting. I know you like to pole, uh, but you also fish, uh, you know, various ways. Let's say you're in Port O'Connor and and you're blind casting. You're trying to to really grind and cover a lot of water, searching for redfish. What is your what is your strategy and and philosophy on search baits? Well, <laughs> depends on where I am too. Yeah, you know, uh, if I'm in dirty water. That spinner bait's gonna be great. Mm-hmm. Uh, spinner baits I have found in the clear water spook the fish a little bit worse than they do catch them. Yeah, uh, I've watched it. Yeah, yeah, you know, in the clear water down Port O'Connor and Aransas, they go the other way. Uh, they kind of shy off of it. I think mm-hmm. it's a little too much, too much in their face. Mm-hmm. Uh, so down there, I'd I'd go more with a straight up soft plastic. But as a search bait, you're just trying to cover water. Yeah, that's the very definition of search bait. Uh, I'm not real big on the this gold spoon as a search bait, mm-hmm. honestly, because mm-hmm. uh, I like to finesse a spoon a little bit. Mm-hmm. I like to you know flip it up and down, let it settle, you know, let it pick it up off the bottom. It's more of a bank bait for you in the grass. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna work it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a sight casting bait. You know, mm-hmm. when I see a fish, I can make them eat a spoon. Yeah, uh, spinner bait on the upper coast in the marshes in Louisiana. That off-color water, that was that was a definite search mm. bait for mm-hmm. me. Uh, other places, uh, a topwater can be a search bait. Uh, Absolutely, because you're drawing yeah. them in. Mm-hmm. You know, you're you're pulling them, and 
you may not catch them, but they're going to start thumping it. Yeah. Same thing with those spinner baits. A lot of times we got thumped hard mm. on those spinner well, baits you know without you them catching it. Uh, then you know that right. there's fish there, and you can maybe change your strategy a little bit. And I think when they were thumping it, I think they thumped the spinner mm-hmm. instead of the the lure at the bottom. You know, you had a soft plastic on the bottom with the hook, right? And then you got the spinner up top. Some of those are really bulky, and some of them are really big, real big. And there's different reasons to use different ones. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, the bigger the the more rounded blades, and the bigger blades, uh, and they're kind of hammered yeah. a little bit. They put off more vibration mm-hmm. the bigger the blade is. So in that really dirty water and on a windblown shoreline, like I've talked about, use a big fish, ugly bait, big that big thing, yeah, I mean, big old as as loud as I could make it, mm-hmm. and we'd buzz them across the top, make the spinner real Just fast retrieve, and yeah, then we'd we'd run them lower. Uh, but the thing was, you could throw it out there and reel it straight back in fast, mm-hmm. and you would cover a whole lot of water, a lot of cash. Uh, and that's that's the whole meaning behind searching right and that's 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 the only thing i was going to add is uh well two things uh but uh the whole idea is to cover water uh, because you have no idea where the fish are so you want to cast as far as you can uh through as many different uh, uh parts of, of of the water column and and not just the depth but but, but maybe the, the the shoreline fan cast all that stuff so a gulp on a popping cork yeah covers a lot of water and that and yep. that and that scent makes does that that same it exact works. thing you know uh, I, I, in fact i'll get right to the next question i'll skip over the one and get back to it you know talking about popping corks i got that question as well but in terms of redfish uh, a gulp on a popping cork you'll cover a lot of water you've got the scent and you've got the noise kind of what you're talking about with with the spinner baits that that would be that's a good I don't know what's here, bait, but it looks like it could be a little redfishy. Yep. Uh, just cover a lot. Sure. Um, and like I said, soft mm-hmm. plastic, you know, with like a paddle tail mm-hmm. that's got its own vibration. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's what I use more in, in the clearer water. Right. Because I don't need all the flash of the, the spinner bait, mm-hmm. but I want a little vibration in there to draw some fish from a little bit of a distance. And get maybe a five inch rather than a three inch because right. it, it can maybe cast them, it further. Yeah, get one that's got a little bigger tail on it. Right. You know, a little more thump. Yeah, uh, that that's what I was gonna about to say. If you know, in terms of if you don't want to use a pop, popping cork, you're using a soft plastic. Use the bigger soft plastic. Right. Uh, it, it it sinks. It covers more water quickly. It has the bigger tail, uh, and you can cast it further. So so that's what I would say about that. Uh, all right, I'll skip over the uh, spring and summer flounder tactics because we're talking about popping corks, and we'll get right back to that. Uh, popping cork question discussion. Uh, do you use different styles in different water depths, etc. Um, I, and, and he was talking about uh, flounder. If you know, if I've ever had flounder uh, hit a popping cork, I know you, you give me a hard time, but you've used them, so I want to. Oh, yeah, I want to get your thoughts on this as well. But I'll, I'll give mine first this time. I use different. I use primarily uh, the big profile egg shaped popping cork. Pick your favorite, Cajun Thunder. You know, yeah. whatever. That's my personal preference. Right. What I use. I'm not saying it's better than the, all the other ones. It's better for me, and that's why this podcast is here. When I get uh, into some, whether I'm wading or I'm uh, in real skinny water on the trolling motor, and let's say I'm into a a, a mouth uh, of a drain or a bayou, I do have a a rod rigged with a little skinny cigar popping cork because the water is quieter and and the depth doesn't need to be as far. I usually use about the length of my arm, so let's say 30 inches, uh, 28 inches uh, under an egg-shaped popping cork. 
on the mm -hmm. egg shape, on the, the cigar shape popping cork, the little thinner ones, I'll use maybe 16 inches at the most because I'm in obviously skinnier yeah, water. Smaller water. Smaller water, skinnier water. Mm -hmm. And I found that flounder are really, really, you don't think it, that you could catch flounder on a popping cork. You oh, absolutely all can all the time. Yeah. I would recommend the finger, you know, the width of your finger, forefinger. Uh, the little skinnier popping cork right on the shorelines uh, with a little shorter of a leader, you know, to underneath the underneath the cork and a little slower and a little quieter on the pop. Because you want that, you know, you want that right. little that little bubble uh, sound. And that bubble echoes a lot louder in the skinnier water in a drain than it would in, in the bay. So that, that would be my two thoughts on the popping cork. Sure. Um on mine, I used popping corks a lot when we fished the redfish tournaments, mm -hmm. and uh, I don't use them so much now because everybody that I, most of my clientele wants to sight fish. Sure, but uh, the uh, popping cork thing, I would use the loudest ones because we were fishing dirtier water. Right, that, that was where we used that technique along the intercoastal, mm -hmm. on the riprap, uh, early and late, you know, where there wasn't a whole lot of visibility. And we'd have the gulp under Wake popping them up. cork, and we're waking them up. <laughs> and I use the mid coast mm -hmm. uh, popping corks. They're made right here, in Needville. And that's uh, the one with the, the scoop on the top of it. He's got, they probably got five or six different mm -hmm. types. They were at the fishing show. They had a booth up there. Yeah, but uh, I use one that's on a on a wire. Yep, with a and it's cupped mm -hmm. on the top. Yeah, that's the one I'm thinking of. And it's got a weight on it. Mm -hmm. It's our it's pre weighted, mm -hmm. so I don't have to have. Any, there's no worry about it standing up. It stands up immediately. As yeah. soon as you pop it, it's standing yeah. back up. There's no waiting for it to, right. for the weight to It's about to the fall. sound that it makes. It has to be that little sucking right. sound. Well, And what you're trying to do, when you pop, your lure comes up, mm -hmm. and then it settles back down. And that's but when you, they hit it. If you're using one of those unweighted ones, the corks lay sideways right. until that lure goes all the way back down, and then, then it'll stand the cork back up for mm -hmm. you. Then you can pop it again. I felt like with the the weighted corks, I got a faster pop. Yeah, I could pop, 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 pop yeah. all the way across the water, mm -hmm. and I didn't have to wait for the lure to to drop all the way back down. Right. If I saw a swirl, then I would stop it and, and let it. let the lure fall a little bit, and then give it some smaller pops. Mm -hmm. um, then, like you said, in the quieter waters, definitely going with right. the smaller uh, the old Mansfield Mauler style. That's the yeah, that's exactly right. Um, yeah. Bob and Houston. a little bit of a shorter leader, a little, uh, you know, into the right. into the into the bait itself. And you know what those, Bob Fuston's the one who came up with those mm -hmm. down in Fort Mansfield. Mm -hmm. red, red bandana charters way oh, back yeah. in the day. And uh, I fished with Bob sometimes. And his wife rented houses down there. So oh, nice. When we went down, we'd rent houses from her. And he handed me a handful of those one day and said, here, try these, you know. And what yeah, he like, developed what the before was because his customers couldn't keep a soft plastic out of the grass oh i got you that was the whole reason he developed those lo and behold and because back then everybody threw quarter ounce mm -hmm. there wasn't 16th ounce mm -hmm. jig heads we we threw quarter ounce that and was about as light as it came seaweed on it and you grass, couldn't keep that sucker and, yeah. out of that grass <laughs> you know you're fishing in two feet of water yeah. with you know eight or ten inches of grass on the bottom mm -hmm. that, that lead was going into the grass yeah and uh so you end up using bigger and bigger soft plastics or something to try to slow it down yeah well he came up with that and then you could set your set your distance at twelve inches hey, and they just work, pop man. it, and they it would keep work. that lure right on top of the grass all mm -hmm. the way across the flat. Uh, that's the other thing; you could skip it a little bit. Sure. You know, you, you can yeah, like you were talking about in the channel. Uh, it reminded me like with the little cigar shape of the Mansfield ones. Uh, you can kind of skip it across there just real quick, and it pops and it sinks a little easier because it's shallower water. 
Um, but give it a shot, man. And 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 I use all kinds of baits. Flounder will hit those uh, yeah. absolutely, one hundred percent. And one way that I've I've caught flounder is just with those small floats like that, putting putting the gulp under it, and just throwing it up into a drain mm-hmm. that's that's falling tide. Yeah, throw it up into the drain against the current, and then let that let it pull it all the way back out there to you, just by just natural just let it happen by itself and let it bounce along there all you know on its own mm-hmm. and just keep the slack out of it heck and I've, the, you'll just kind of see it stop and then it'll slowly slide yep, under. that's exactly and right that, that's your flounder and that's the other thing too the the, the bites are so erra- different i shouldn't say yeah. erratic they're so different you can get that absolute boom and you feel it It takes the rod out of your hand like you're working the yeah. bottom of the of the bed and then you just see the little maybe go under the water a little bit Dude, set that hook on all of it because yeah, there's no telling, uh, you know what that's going to be. All right. Uh, so he said another question here: spring and summer flounder tactics, uh, artificial. Uh, well, we touched a little bit on that with uh, the popping corks, but uh, lure options, locations, and action uh, was the question for someone looking for some spring in, in where we are right now. Uh, flounder. What, what would you say on that? They're going to be kind of in the same places mm-hmm. that they are, you know, year round by now. Uh, they're moving back into the bays. You know, they spend their the winter offshore for the most part. Some of them stay yeah. in the bay. Some of them, don't, uh, you know, most of them leave. That's what the big flounder run is about. Mm-hmm. Well, there's a reverse run in the spring, but it's more sporadic. It's not as it's not as easy to pinpoint when it's going to happen right. or get on it. But there is a run in the in the spring. And mm-hmm. I think it's already happened. It's happening. And yeah. could be happening now. Yeah. But I'm starting to see more flounder up in the base mm-hmm. while I'm polling. I'm jumping a lot more flounder off the bottom as we pull over them. Right. So where I see the majority of the flounder is within a 20-yard arc around the mouth of drains. That's that's I mean, pretty much that's, it. That's, that's going to be about where they're they're going to be everywhere. There are they're on but open shore lines. But where your prime time is? But if you want to concentrate on flounder, concentrate on drains, mm-hmm. on outgoing tide on a drain, and if you want to throw bait, put a shrimp under a cork, throw it up there, and do what I was talking about. Let it just let Go the down. current pull it down. Mm-hmm. Mud minnow. Uh, you can do the same thing with a soft plastic. If you don't like gulp, mm-hmm. put it under a little popping cork and let it work its way down. Uh, what happens there? You can work it. You can throw up there and work it without the popping cork and do you know, right. do fine. You can bounce it and bump it. Right. Um, but with that little slow current and a light lure, it looks dry, more natural. I think it looks more natural, mm-hmm. and I, it's worked so much slower. Mm-hmm. And it gives them a chance to see it coming and jump on it. Now there are times when flounder are very very aggressive. I've caught them on topwaters. Uh, I've I've caught them on topwaters as well. Um, so there are times when they get really aggressive. Popping corks. You'll, you'll generally know when that's happening. Yeah, like you're just talking about, not, not, I'm talking about pop, popping corks in the open bay, yep. you know, where you catch them. And I will say this about uh, if you're if you're targeting flounder, um, I would I would get out of the boat, you know, if you find a good drain. If you catch, if, if two people on the boat, let's say you have three people on the boat, if two catch flounder in a relatively short time, I would get out and I would move. We always talk about moving slow when, when you're waiting, uh, weight fishing. I would move even slower. Uh, I, I generally think, uh, as you just talked, I was, I was kind of smiling when you said that 20-yard arc at, at a drain. Th- they're going to be moving in and out of there, but generally speaking, if you stay in one area and you catch a couple and you just stay there for an hour, you'll catch all you need. 
all you yeah. want. Uh, they, they, they always kind of hang in the same area. So if you're moving slow, weight fishing or even trolling, put that stick down, whatever, and just give it a real good college effort, college try uh, in the same area. Cause they, it's funny, man, it's a flounder run, but I don't know if they just kind of take breaks uh, on the drains. Yeah, uh, there's or, or, places where they yeah. stop. Yeah. You know, they know where the flow is and the flow is bringing them food. Yeah. And that's why they're going to stop there. Hey, you're talking about beating a place to death. You mm-hmm. know, uh, Camille is the world's best about it. My wife, she, when we were kayak fishing all the time together, uh, she'll, she prefers to go kayak fishing because she can go do her own thing. Yeah. I can, I'm going to keep moving, looking for deal. redfish. Yeah. I'm always moving, looking, hunting. And she'll set up and post up on a drain mm-hmm. and just sit there and pound it over and over and over and over again and bounce her little soft plastic along there or a spoon. Mm-hmm. And I mean, damn, she's going to catch a flounder. I'm telling you. she's Eventually, she's going to get one. And I always laugh about it. I, I give her a hard time. Yeah. You just beat it into submission. That's, that's <laughs> like, all it was. You just guess kept I'm hitting gonna it bite in the head. This, so I guess I'll bite this. Finally, you, you irritated no, it. No, I, I subscribe to that, too. I, I've been known to stand uh, when, when I'm targeting flounder. And I generally target, you know, trout and redfish, obviously. But if I'm targeting flounder, I'll I'll stand on that drain and I'll just toss and toss and then you'll know soon enough because if you catch one you're gonna catch two and if you catch two and you start pounding it you'll catch all you want. Uh, all right, um, this is your wheelhouse. You talk about uh, the popping cork king. Uh, let's talk about sight fishing and this is well you got a lot of wheelhouses but uh, Texter uh, wanted to know. All right, help me out. Sight fishing from a skiff. I want to do it. It would be cool. Uh, I was, I was just help me out like a beginner's guide to sight fishing, setting it up. Uh, how do I use it? Which plastics, which lead ahead? Should I use weedless, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Sight fishing. First, let's get a definition of it. I'm talking about, yeah, I'm thinking, um, I'm picturing on the platform. You're up on the platform, but I mean, as far as sight fishing means different things to different people. I like seeing a fish. Mm-hmm. I point the fish out, you know, he's at, he's at nine o'clock and 40 feet moving left or right. Yeah. Uh, that's what I do for my customers. Uh, I like to be able to see that fish. Uh, there are days when you can't, you know, if it's mm-hmm. overcast, it's, it's cloudy. It's real early in the morning. Sight casting at those times means throwing to swirls. Yeah. Throwing to. That's what I, that to me, that's like, that's sight cast, casting. That's yeah. sight casting to a lot of people. Yeah. Throwing to, throwing to the sign mm-hmm. that there's a fish there. Uh, sight casting to me is throwing to the fish right. and watching the fish eat. Mm-hmm. That That's the biggest thrill in the world to me is and then there's watching kind one of, eat, chase and, down and eat a fly. And then there's the, the in-between those two things where you see fish tailing. Sure. That, you know, like on the distance right. and you see fish tailing, that's sight casting as well. So mm-hmm. let, let's kind of start sure. with just the gen, general uh, kind of go-tos for, for that. Uh, on conventional gear, I go really light, mm-hmm. 16th ounce. And I use the uh, the belly weighted hooks mm-hmm. with the little spring lock on the eye, and twirl twirl that on there. Yeah. The reason for it is it can it'll slide through anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can get it through oysters. You can get it through the grass without it hanging up. Right. It's basically a little weedless presentation. I use a um, small paddle tails. I use the bass assassin style, mm-hmm. and generally that uh, a light light belly dark dark top kind of bait mm-hmm. uh, usually have a chartreuse tail on it mm-hmm. i can tell pretty quick during the day if they're going to eat a chartreuse tail or not right 90 percent of the time they will mm-hmm. but every once in a while that's one of the cool things with sight fishing too you get to see the fish react to the baits and how they're going to react that's awesome 
uh, and there are days when I see them just spook off of a chartreuse tail, mm-hmm. go to a plain tail, and they start eating. Um, so I'll throw that, throw uh, really light spoons. I stick with lightweight baits, mm-hmm. a whole lot of light baits, because you're talking about generally if you're sight fishing on the Texas coast, you're in a you foot or less of water. Beat them over the head with something. Yeah, it's, you know? it's shallow water, yeah. and it's very easy to be intrusive yeah. in that shallow water. You can't throw a spinner bait up there and expect it. Mm-hmm. To not be overly, it's like a marching band coming through. Right. Uh, you want to kind of finesse it, and that's why fly fishing works so well on it too. Yeah. Um, but if you if you don't fly fish and you're throwing soft plastics, an unweighted soft plastic, if you can throw it, if uh, that'd if be you fun. throw spinning, you know, that'd throw, be a lot of fun. Yeah. If you throw spinning, mm-hmm. uh, you can pull it off pretty easy. Yeah. Bait casters, it's tough, mm-hmm. you know, to throw that soft plastic without any weight on it at all. <laughs> uh, but it, it, you do get it every once in a while. Throwing bugs jigs. Mm-hmm. Uh, I work bugs jigs a lot. Uh, but I always stay lightweight. Yeah. And I try to have it be something that is not going to hang up in grass. It's not going to hang up on the on oysters. Mm-hmm. Because the areas that we're fishing, those fish are up in that salt grass, you know, where the salt grass is flooded and it's right, up right to the edge. Those fish are moving in and out of the edge of that salt grass. If you cast six inches too far and it goes into the grass, you want to be able to pull it back out without, without a bunch of disturbance. Exactly. And you want it to You start You start pulling out. on that hook like you're, you're right. trying to if you get force it out up, of there. Yeah. They're gone. You get hung up with an open hook mm-hmm. in the grass and you start yanking on it, chances are really good <laughs> that they're going to take off the other way. The only other thing, every once in a while, if they're really fired up, it'll actually bring them over to it, kind of yeah. like a popping cork. Mm-hmm. I've seen that happen. I've seen them take it off of the grass and, and <laughs> eat it. Uh, but like I said, generally you want something that's not going to hang up and mm-hmm. it's lightweight. Uh, so it, it doesn't immediately hit the bottom right. as soon as you throw it out there in that foot Same of water. Same concept as me with the, the, the lighter, thinner, smaller popping cork when you're in a drain right. looking for flounder. It's all about uh, finesse and trying to be a little bit quiet back right. in there. Uh, gear, I use a medium light spinning rods mm-hmm. for my customers. You can flip it part. right in there. Uh, they can flip with it real easy. They can throw it into the wind, across mm-hmm. the wind. Mm-hmm. You don't have to stop and think, oh, with your bait caster, you stop, you've been throwing downwind all morning yeah. and something pops above, you know, straight into the wind. That's tough. And you turn around to go cast, you better have a good thumb on it. Yeah, or uh, else you're picking that or else you're line picking out. It out. <laughs> but with a spinning rod, you can, you can spin back around and throw mm-hmm. it. And spinning rods are becoming more accepted. And uh, and again, I, I'm going to leave it to you because you're the absolute expert on this. But targeting uh, on the redfish uh, as well, you don't want to throw it right at their nose. Uh, you, you know, you generally speaking, correct me if I'm wrong. You want to be yeah. kind of at an angle, at a 45 degree angle of them, but close enough for them to see it. Yeah, imagine their cone of vision. You yeah. know, just try to try to visualize based on how their eyes are set on their like head. Like a dog cone of shame. Right. You know, like that exactly. angle right that, there. Kind of that angle. Yeah. And depends on water clarity and the sky. Mm-hmm. You know, if you've got a real clear sky, uh, they might be a little spookier. Mm-hmm. If it's real dead calm, they might be a little spookier. So you have to adjust how far out in front of them you get mm-hmm. based on that. Uh, if you have a real clear bottom, you can throw like a bug's jig out there and let it set on the bottom right. in the direction that they're headed. Then wait for them to get to it, and, and then, then pull, flick, it, yeah. pull it away from them. <clears throat> yeah, uh, you don't always have that option if mm-hmm. you're fishing oysters, big oyster beds, or heavy grass. Right, uh, you got to get the lure in that little strike zone mm-hmm. right in front of their face 
quietly. Yeah. So you might throw past them a little bit and bring it across. That's what their I'm face. talking about. Kind of at a 45 degree angle, yeah. 35 degree angle. Right. Like if picture it, the cone of shame on a dog. You want it in there, yeah. but not right at them. You said this. Yeah. Uh, if it comes directly. It's unnatural. No, no, it's same okay. But if it comes straight if at them, it it's straight unnatural. straight at them or straight from behind them, it doesn't work. Yeah. Uh, most of the time. Mm -hmm. that, that very rarely ever works. Because how many baits swim toward a nothing, fish? Yeah. Nothing in the bay yeah. swims towards something to commit suicide. <laughs> That's just right. the way it is. Yeah. You know? And uh, Mark Nichols is the one that told me that a long time ago, yeah. I think it was. He said, nothing in the bay swims yeah. towards a, a predator. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's unnatural and it'll freak a predator out right imagine if a, a gazelle ran straight at the lions <laughs> the like, lions be hey, looking at look, each other like he looks like he's hungry <laughs> <laughs> something wrong with this one that's right oh my I god bet he tastes funny yeah <laughs> i bet he tastes funny as well um but sidecasting is a hoot man i mean it's and you're hooked i mean you've been hooked for decades now yeah, but and and it's not just redfish yeah you know, no we got no we got flounder I mean, there's times we sight cast flounder mm -hmm. from the front of the boat. You'll see them laid up on a shoreline. Uh, sheep's head, drum. Mm -hmm. uh, we sight cast all kind of stuff. Same right principles there. with flounder. I've seen them. This is what I've. This yeah. is this is how I've sight casted flounder in the past. When you see the little potato chips, as I call them, the smaller flounder, mm -hmm. kind of they'll flip into the air yeah. when they're feeding them. They'll jump the clear big out. Ones of, will too. The big ones will too. But you see the little ones a, a lot less. Right. Uh, that's that's kind of like a, a, a redfish tailing, as far as I'm concerned. I, I always just kind of what we just talked about, not don't throw to where they were because then hit them right in the nose, you know, just or in the forehead, kind of at an angle around them. And then and, and or what, what would be your experience? The ones that are jumping, my experience is they're hard as hell to catch. Yeah. Yeah. If they're clearing the water and jumping, they're generally and I figured this out by just sitting and watching. Mm -hmm. uh, they're eating those little clouds of bait fish when they do that. Okay. And it's those micro baits. The I'm talking an eighth inch long little shiners yeah. or you know some kind of little mud minnow hatch. Mm -hmm. And they're literally doing the whale thing, eating krill. Yeah. They just open their mouth and shoot up through that ball. Yeah. You can't duplicate that with a lure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's really hard. Uh, that's where I think I've said it before: clear, soft plastic with some sparkles in it. Yeah, uh, make it look different. Yeah, uh, DOA calls it uh, halo, I think. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's absolutely clear except for those sparkles, and I think that those look mimic maybe a little ball of bait. Yeah, maybe. And uh, those tiny little baits, those little flashes are like individual little baits. Right. And I think that's I've had more luck doing it that way. Same thing with Spanish mackerel; mm -hmm. they'll do the same thing. It's funny because uh, you also have to realize it's it's, it's so convoluted because you, you you know I wouldn't throw right at those, but there's flounder there that are it's more than one you know when they're Generally. if they're feeding that well if it's the little ones or even a big one is jumping out of the water feeding that well there's a lot of flounder interested in that feeding yeah so you got to get around it when I was younger one of the best flounder days I ever had was in the spring mm -hmm. when the run was you know they were coming back into the bay uh, it was middle of March. And I had a girlfriend that her dad would just eat up with flounder fish. And I mm -hmm. was maybe 15, 16 years old. Yeah. And uh, he had this area at the mouth of uh, where Christmas Bay, Christmas Point. Mm -hmm. There was old houses there gone now. And there was this real flat oyster reef right off the edge of the uh, channel. Get a spot. It was a spot. There was no <laughs> doubt this was Just a spot. like we were talking about. I mean, it was a spot to the point he used two anchors to pull up and sit sideways, only on an incoming tide. Mm -hmm. And we would sit... And that reef was maybe a foot and a half, two foot deep. Yeah. And we'd put a, 
a shrimp under a popping cork mm -hmm. and about and six or eight inches underneath it, set it down next to the boat and free line it and let it float. That's crazy. And it would float over that reef and it would just stop it at points mm -hmm. and go down and you'd catch a flounder. Back then there wasn't any limits on them. And I'd guarantee you we'd bring in 40, 50 flounder <laughs> like that off of that spot. And these were jumping flounder. Yeah. That's when we knew to go there. Mm -hmm. If you saw one or two jump, it's on. It was on. And these were big, big flounder. Mm -hmm. The biggest flounder I ever caught was off of that little reef. That's you know, crazy. 26 inch flounder Ooh, that came off of there. That's a big ass flounder. Yeah, it was a big <laughs> one. And uh, anyway, that that's one way to catch them. Mm -hmm. That that's I guess that's where my technique of throwing up drains and just letting it float back that's down. That's the came genesis from, of it. Yeah, was fishing with him with live shrimp under those popping corks and just yeah. letting it float by them. And it was it's very effective. Oh heck yeah! So heck yeah! If you see them jumping along the edge of a bayou or something, mm -hmm. give that a shot. Uh, absolutely. All right, uh, boat ramp confessional. Uh, for those uh, who are not familiar, we <laughs> anybody who says they haven't had a breakdown, a numbskull move, uh, a, a, a something bad happen on the water or on the ramp. Uh, they either have not fished very much or they're lying to you. We all have. I've told some stories. You've told some stories. We've had some people text in the, and uh, some stories on the boat ramp confessional. But lo and behold, less than two weeks ago, <laughs> got a text from uh, someone in this room, and there's only two of us in this room, talking about a five-mile polling ex expedition. Yep. After polling all morning <laughs> and on into the afternoon, I had some customers that wanted to fish full full day and uh we did we i i don't know if you're familiar with it i'd run all the way down the intercoastal and come out the army cut mm -hmm. from charlie's oh, everybody knows the army cut and i went out the army cut and there's a little cut there it goes in the lagoon mm -hmm. i stopped right there and i started pulling and i had pulled both shorelines all the way down in a bunch of lakes and uh, we'd gotten about halfway through the lagoon mm -hmm. where the the openings are into the Espiritu Santo. There's right. a bunch of big wide openings there that have opened up. Yeah, uh, it used to be real narrow. Now they're real wide. Uh, we got to about right there, and one of the last fish of the day, uh, big, huge, thirty-inch red, <laughs> was up prowling up shallow with his back out, mm -hmm. and my guy was throwing fly. And he hit it square in the back, and I mean square in the back. It sounded like he hit it with a twenty-two. <laughs> Pow! That red fish. He changed zip codes. Yeah, uh, he he completely moved out of the area. Yeah. Well, at that point, the guy said, "You know, I think we're done today." Yeah, yeah. He said that that was a great that was ending. A good shot you know, yeah. I had a great shot. <laughs> yeah. I had a ball today. Let's let's go ahead and right. Let's go ahead and go. So I pulled out there to the opening, and uh, turn the engine you know, to crank up to head on out, and it goes. Rawr, rawr, rawr. Oh God! <laughs> I said, oh no! And I messed with it for a minute, and rawr, rawr, rawr. and I checked the wiring. And everything, that, that, that's what I would have Everything thought seemed tight. Yeah. yeah, it all it all seemed just plenty good and tight. Mm -hmm. I said, man. So there's a way, you know, you can the old pull start, right? Uh, yeah, exactly. And yeah. I've got, you know, a fifty horse motor on that mm -hmm. little polling skiff. And lo and behold, in the little kit that comes with it, there's the plastic a plastic bag, a cord? there's a rope yeah. in there and it, it tells you on there how to do it. Well, the rope is a little short. <laughs> the one that they have in there, and you get about one and a half turns on that head. Oh, no. And with the compression on a brand new motor, yeah, that's not gonna... you can't get it going. So I pulled on it, pulled on it, pulled on it. And by then, your arms probably... Yeah, and I was getting a little tired. But I had already pulled probably four or five miles. <laughs> and maybe more than that, because I'd zigzagged across back and forth and into the little lakes. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I'd probably... 
I've been polling for eight hours. Yeah. You know, solid eight hours. And I'm sitting over there, and this is a shallow lagoon, so I'm thinking, okay, who can I call? I can't call him. His boat won't get in here. Yeah. Can't call him. His boat won't get in here. You're done. Well, I can call this guy. Okay, so I call up call up a couple of different buddies that I know yeah. are around. Yeah. And no answer. You know, I'll leave a message. No answer. I'll leave a message. Man, who Man, else can by I? By then, it's getting late. And uh, now it's 5 o'clock. Yeah. You know, and it's going to get dark at 730. And we're, we're good five miles from the ramp and, and uh told my guys i said one of y'all get up there with a rod because we're fixing a pole a long ways and it's going to be fast <laughs> it's going to be drive-by fishing <laughs> and i did got up there and i did an olympic polling sprint so you were like rowing in that uh, that thing basically. i mean i was flying <laughs> and we got back from that spot and i checked it on gps and it was a little over five miles and i got us back inside of two hours man all the way back the best best part is we get the uh, coyote cut there in front of Charlie's. Yeah. Well, I had to pull across the intercoastal. Oh, and you can't geez. touch bottom there. Yeah. And there's barges coming all the time, so I just got set up, and I waited for the current to take the, you. Well, the wind was blowing the right way. It was yeah. blowing towards you know towards the other bank. Yeah. And so I just I stopped short, and then I pulled really really hard and got the boat headed in the right direction with the wind. And we just sailed on across. <laughs> well, just so happens one of my buddies, Mr. Stephen Plant, yeah. I'm going to burn him, <laughs> is standing on his dock with his arms spread out going, what are you doing? And I float right up there towards his dock. And I said, He's, what are you doing, man? What are you doing? I said, you are here. Yeah. Well, I called you earlier, and uh, you didn't didn't respond. He's Check standing your messages. up there his waders, so I know he, and his boat's sitting right there at the dock, yeah. you know, on the, on the dock. I said, so you were out fishing? He goes, yeah. He said, I saw you had called. I just figured I'd call you back later. You might want to come over for a beer or something. <laughs> I said, no, man. Well, I do now. At least I, one. I need a couple drinks right now. <laughs> My right. shoulder's about to fall off. Exactly. But, yeah, he, you know, there he was you know, at the at the end of the thing going, hey, how you hey. doing? Hey, something wrong? Yeah, something wrong. <laughs> you look like you could oh, use some you help. You should have called me. I would have come got you. <laughs> yeah, no I kidding. I said, no, I did call. He says, no, I mean text. You should have texted me. <laughs> I'll check my text. Well, check your messages, too. That's funny. Yeah. So even at that point, I still had to pull down to Charlie's, which oh, was another, the way down the another 200 yards down. Yeah. And uh, everybody looking at you as you're pulling up at the doctor, all clean and fish. And, <laughs> and so it was just it was just battery? It was just the battery, dead battery. Uh, I no idea why. Yeah. I, I mean, I've, you charge I've it every it, time. Yeah, and I've run it several times since then. There was something pulling on it mm-hmm. that particular time i mean i had my gps on yeah but that should not pull no. enough to kill a battery yeah but anyway I, I took all the wiring off put all the wiring back on yeah put a little bit of that uh grease mm-hmm. electrical dielectric grease i put a little bit of that on there and after the next fishing trip i put the charger on it yeah and within two to three minutes it was showing fully charged right so the battery's fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it held the charge. I let it sit overnight without plug it in again and check it. Yeah, and and you've since gone. You know. I've since I've been out several yeah. times. Yeah, so it, it was a freak deal. I don't know what was wrong that particular day, but yeah. Anyway, hey, look at it this way: you got your cardio in. Man, did I? <laughs> you got your cardio I pull, in. I pull a lot. I, yeah, I yeah. pull three, four, five times a week. Mm-hmm. You know, for six to eight hours at a time. Lesser man couldn't have done that. And this was lesser experience this was a lot yeah yeah <laughs> and i I pulled that much and mm-hmm. i was sore the next day after yeah that's a after lot. this one yeah uh, because it 
people think of Poland as just arms. I hear that all the time. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, man, your arms must be really strong. It's your grip. Yeah. It's your arms. It's your shoulders. It's it's a core workout. Mm-hmm. It's a really good workout because you you plant your feet, you right. plant your legs, you spin with your body, you tighten up your your sure, core, sure, your your guts tightening it up. You're also and you're working. like turning at your core because sure. you know you're, you're going you're in different directions, spinning the boat, spinning around, spinning the boat all things. that stuff, and it's all about angles and and uh, using the pressure of that push pole to, to make the right. boat do what you want it to. Right. So it's a full body workout just on a regular day. Right. Uh, try sprinting man i'm telling you uh, i, <laughs> I get, did not want to be I doing to get this that in the five dark. mile polling after an all-day polling uh all right so overcast mostly this uh, this weekend but pretty good conditions i think uh we got coming up anybody wanting to get out there we got it's going to be a little southeast wind maybe a little breezy on some days maybe a little rainy uh further south down the texas coast uh further north should be pretty good so Hopefully, uh, hopefully get some good fishing in this weekend. I'm I'm planning on going myself. Uh, I don't know what you got scheduled, but it should be a good week, man. Uh, Fishing Tackle Unlimited is having their salesman sample sale mm-hmm. on Friday and Saturday. Oh, good deal. And you know, as you That's know, I'm going I, on the way out. I was a salesman for yeah. a good many years, and I had a lot of samples. Yeah. Well, when we moved, I found a whole lot. I thought I'd sold all of it. Yeah. But I found a whole bunch more. Yeah. So I've got a whole bunch of uh, rods, some reels, uh, some Costa sunglasses. Yeah, things that I've repped yeah. in the Where past. Heck yeah, where are you going to be? Uh, there'll be a big tent at the Gulf Freeway store. Mm-hmm. And I don't remember exactly what time it opens, 9 o'clock in the morning on Friday. Right. And it's it, what it is is every sales rep that's out there. That has their Has stuff. samples. Yeah. You know, you, you always have a full rack of rods. Every mm-hmm. rod that that manufacturer that you represent has given you samples. You buy them yeah. for the most part. Right. And, so, and you buy them at a cheap cost. You know, they, right. they don't want to sell them to you expensive they want you to have them right uh so you pass that discount along at the end of the year and then you buy that's friday and saturday right friday and, and Gulf freeway ft fish there's lures Unlimited. there's hunting stuff there's you know it's not just fishing yeah uh guys who are reps like when i was a rep i had man i had uh, uh i had cookware oh nice. i had the cast iron cookware from yeah. lodge i had kershaw knives i had all kind of stuff so all these other reps have right. hunting lines and what we call fall goods lines mm-hmm. along with their fishing lines and they'll bring all of those samples out there they put them out on tables they price them cheap nice they want to get rid of it they don't want it in their garage anymore right and they have to buy next year's samples sure so you sell it all off and you use that money to roll it into the the fresh samples good idea. the following it's year a real good idea it was a great idea joe came up mm-hmm. with it years ago mm-hmm. and uh because years ago there wasn't any way to get rid of it and a lot of the old-time sales reps mm-hmm. You talk to him like I worked for one Mr. Crook up in uh, Dallas. He had four big, huge storage units just full of with old, stuff. old samples. Yeah, yeah. I'd go in there and find. He was the Loomis rep. Yeah, and I found some Jimmy Loomis fly rods that were thirty years old. Right. I mean, just now you get crazy antiques. Stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but this is a way for guys to get rid of all that right. stuff and get it out of there. And it's all good stuff. I yeah. mean, it, it's all well. You're darn right. It's I mean, one if it's year old from there, basically. Yeah, yeah. and uh, you're getting it at a hell of a discount. And uh, I'm not so sure I would want to buy a rod from a guy named Crook, 
but yeah. Uh, well, <laughs> oh well. Yeah. Uh, and Who people you work can, for? I worked for the crooks. For the crooks. Uh, yeah, that's. It was pretty funny when I retired from the police department and <laughs> went to work for the crooks. Yeah. Well, yeah. You flipped. Yeah. Um, all right, and people can uh, obviously uh, book a trip with you. Tarpon is not too far down. It's coming. It's coming um, in June, right? Is when you usually I start. I talked to some guys that they're starting to see a few down in the far, far Already? south end of Texas. Mm-hmm. Uh, that last little warm. Spell. But you generally do your tarpon starting in June. Mine are gonna start. I'll start running the trips in June. They should show up the end of May. Yeah. Uh, somewhere around the last week or so of May is when they got okay. here last year. I saw some middle of May last year, yeah. but it wasn't consistent enough. To, to put somebody I out don't there. Wanna, yeah. I don't want to run take somebody's money and say, hey, let's yeah. go tarpon fishing when I know. You'll see one maybe and miss We might them. see one group. Yeah. Yeah. I want it to be more consistent, yeah, and that'll generally start up in June. All right, well, people can hit you up for that. They can hit you up for questions and comments and topics for here, and of course, me. Uh, that's Captain Scott Knoll. You can hit me up uh, at uh, Twitter at Lopez on Sports, Instagram at Lopez on Sports, Facebook. Both of us. Uh, you can. Uh, uh, this was a good show. A lot of fun questions, and it's all from listeners. Don't forget to subscribe. It's the Bite Me Podcast, the Texas Saltwater Fishing Podcast. It is really going off the charts right now they're loving it uh here at the station we we just do it for fun so hopefully you guys are having some fun too uh we're going to be out on the water this week uh the rest of this weekend and this week uh hopefully you guys are too if you're not get hit that fishing tackle unlimited show uh over in uh on the gulf freeway john lopez captain scott and we'll talk to you next time <laughs>